Either that or the teacher follow the children. <laughs> I hope they're not in the street or something. <laughs> okay. Okay. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> I'll be reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our souls. Oh Lord, let us taste the work of the Holy Spirit that was in Paul and what he describes here about his life about the Christian life. Help me, therefore, be stuck to the text to unfold what's there and work in us by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Work in us these glorious truths. Amen. There, there's a discontentment that is bad be, because it produces ingratitude. Because there's a kind of discontentment that is not enjoying the blessings that are right in front of you in your life. And then there's a discontentment that is good. It is, it is good in and of itself. It's the discontentment that drives the Christian life. Christians, all of us, in our state down here, should be discontent with our knowledge of God. Discontented with our personal experience with God. In the sense that as a result, and this is where our text is going to lead us, that that again and again causes us to pursue knowing Christ more and more and more, to pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of, one of the signs of the reality of a genuine relationship with Jesus is what is it that you're discontented with? And so, here's the application of this text at the beginning of the sermon. Be discontented with the current state of your spiritual life. Be content with who God is in Christ to you in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Be unsatisfied with the depth of your knowledge of the Scripture. With the depth of your knowledge of God, with your experience with God, with the intensity of your worship. Be unsatisfied with your progress in sanctification, in the producing of the fruit of the Spirit. So, let's go back now to our text and, and see that here. Paul, first person, the way he's putting all this, he, he's our example of the discontented Christian life. Paul answers two main questions for us this morning in this passage, and those two main questions are the two main points of this sermon. The first is, where does this discontentment 
that is good. Where does that come from? And the second question is, what does that discontentment produce in Paul or in the Christian life? Let's begin again. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, first, where did Paul get that drive? Where did he get this spiritual discontentment that caused him to run and to press on? Well, the answer is what we saw last week at its core. The answer is Jesus made him his own. Right? Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, he was called, with the upward call, he was called to faith. He was called to be reconciled or united with Christ. As we saw last week, God shined the light of his very glory in the face of of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel to Paul, that produced this ongoing blessing of discontentment. Why? Because Paul saw just a smidgen of the glory of God. He tasted he tasted enough to know it's just a tiny little speck. And all of that by the indwelling Spirit. The very taste that God is for Himself and in Himself eternally loving Himself was actually, not say, Paul, you should do what I do, but it was placed into Him in the person of the Spirit. And if that's true, then in His remaining walk and sin and finiteness, there's a longing for more. And that calling, therefore, causes Him to evaluate Himself day by day, honestly and accurately. The presence of the Holy Spirit through the true gospel causes Christians to feel more sinful, not less. They're more in tune with their brokenness. Verse 12, he means this. Yeah, he's an apostle. He's, a, he's commissioned. He, he, he had visions given to him as a unique historical individual. But in the other ways, he's just like we. Not that I have already obtained this. Or am already perfect. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that, that, that I have made it my own. Paul would totally agree with 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. There is no sinless perfection in this life. 
There isn't. There is no possibility of sinless perfection in this life. There is no, I've arrived. I've made it my own. I am perfect. The battle with sin is over. Not in this life. And that, right there, is the tension of what the Christian life is. Is meant to be. I want you to turn over. I'm going to spend a few minutes in Hebrews chapter 10. To to again just contemplate this tension. Every human being does have tension. We have in, in philosophical tensions and ethical tensions and moral tensions, but only those who have been called of God, as we saw last week, are indwelt by the Spirit. Only they have this tension. It's the tension of the now and the not yet. It's a tension as you read the Scripture in the New Testament particularly, it's all over it. The kingdom of God has come. It's in your midst. When the kingdom of God does come, which is still not yet, it's the tension of having been raised spiritually from the dead and yet your body has not been raised from the dead and sin still dwells within you. Look at verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 10. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ has perfected his people. It's already done. Now, in the New Testament, and particularly the writer of Hebrews, in this sermon called Hebrews, it clearly does not mean that Christians on this side of death don't sin. It, it, it doesn't mean we are living in perfect holiness. Can't mean that. Not only that, verse 14 itself admits that. It's in the last phrase. For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time. Who? Those who are being sanctified. Ongoingly. Continually, present tense, being made more holy, sanctified. So those who are being sanctified are not fully sanctified in the sense of being sinless. Otherwise, they would not need to be ongoingly sanctified. What verse 14 just said is that the people who have been perfected by Jesus, His work on the cross, are the ones who are in the process of being perfected or sanctified, set apart, made holy. Hagiao, that's what this word is referring to in the New Testament. And so perfected in verse 14 here, it does not mean that we Christians are sinlessly perfect in this life. So what does it mean? You just read on and he tells us. And the Holy Spirit 
also bears witness to us, for after saying, and he's quoting Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then he says, where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus, by a single offering, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ has fully paid the price and thus provided full forgiveness of sins for those who are being sanctified. Those who are now in process of sanctification, walking with Christ. He said, look at verse 10, jump back to verse 10 there. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This means that you can know that you stand perfect in the eyes of God if you are being sanctified. If you're moving away from hating your present imperfections and sin, and moving, longing, pressing toward more of you. Jesus, more of you. More fruit, please, in this area of my life. Please, in that area of my life. Which is one of the main themes of the sermon of Hebrews. Holiness. Holiness that's coming through our trust and faith and love for Christ. As Paul cries out in our passage. To know, to know Him more, more and more. And so what that means is, here's the really good news. Christian, our remaining sinful inclinations our remaining imperfections are in no way a sign of our disqualification of being in Christ. But they are the reality of all whom God has justified. Legally perfected for all time. Because you love him. How do you know it's you? You love him. You press on. You are being sanctified. The Hebrew writer explains the present perfection in terms of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Justification. Not in terms of the videotape of your life over the last two weeks. Christians are, before God, perfected now in the sense that all of our sins have been washed away. Verse 10, having been sanctified. Verse 14, are being presently sanctified. That's the tension. That's the theological tension, not just the experiential tension, which is good when you start to see, oh, that explains my life as I read the Scripture. It's the biblical tension of the now, but not yet, uh, of fulfillment. Christ came, He fulfilled the promise, the kingdom of God is here. 
Behold, it's at hand. But it's still not yet in the consummation of that kingdom. Christ was raised. That is, His humanity was raised from human death into human immortality, but He's only the first fruits. There's no one else yet, but one day He'll come back in the consummation and perfect everyone who belongs to Him. Spirit, soul, body. Forever. This is the tension. It's the tension in the way the New Testament talks about it. We've been born anew. We have been made new creatures in Christ. You are in Christ. Ephesians 2. God the Father raised us up together with Christ. You have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the New Testament. That's the now. And then there's a not yet. Because the New Testament is clear that our liberation from sin is not yet final. Perfect. Romans 7, sin still dwells within me. As Paul cries out in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I'm not. So Paul's teaching on living the Christian life is embrace all that God is for you in Christ. You find it here in the Scripture to grasp it. That's who he said I am. And then your daily life is, is to fight to take possession of that territory that Christ has conquered for you. In other words, the tension in the Christian life is there are truths in heaven about me and now I'm called to battle, and to fight, to become in practice what I already am and won't be perfected until the resurrection of the dead. Okay, I, just, I want to illustrate that. Just, so just listen up. I want you to, I'm only going to go, these are all from Paul in his letters. And many theologians have called this the indicative and the imperative. And they're right, because this is the tension within the New Testament particularly Paul's epistles. The indicative mood is the mood of reality or fact. When you say, that, you know, I went to the store, that's indicative. If I say to one of my kids, clean your room, that's an imperative of command. So for instance, in, in Romans 6, 18, Paul says, having been freed, this is the indicative, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Look at that. In the very next verse, he says, Therefore, you, here's the imperative, present your members as slaves of righteousness. Or Romans 6.6, 6, Our old self was crucified with him. Romans 6.11, Therefore, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. The imperative. Colossians 3.9 You laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Mm -hmm. Look at that. You did, didn't you? Then you read Ephesians 4.22 Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Ephesians 4.24, the imperative, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
So you feel it. In other words, because we are secure in Christ, because we have been justified by our faith alone, and thus we have peace with God. God is at peace. That's amazing. With us, because of that, we are free. We're we're free to look at ourselves honestly. Which causes us to look to Christ more and more. Which causes us to seek, as Paul said, I want to know Him. I don't think Paul did any religious stuff after Christ just to do it. That's a good thing. I consider this to be trash or garbage in our larger context. As well. No, no, that, that's garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. He, he's motivated by the gospel constantly. This is what's caused him to long for Jesus more and more. For the surpassing power of knowing Christ. The call is what is the blessing of his dissatisfaction because it causes him and is to cause us to be in touch with our undoneness. And thus not be satisfied. And thus, to the second major question Paul answers for us. How does that dissatisfaction, discontentment work itself out in the Christian life? In other words, what did it lead Paul to do? The answer is in verse 12. I press on. That's the answer. Answers again in verse 14. I press on. Coming to Jesus in conversion does not mean there is no more need to seek Christ. He is infinite. His beauty, His glory are inexhaustible. For all eternity, you will never know God as God knows God in eternity and thus have arrived. And there's nothing new for you to know. You will never be God. You will never be omniscient. There will always be new turns around a corner of a sight of the infinite beauty and glory of God. And even in this life, listen to how Paul prayed for Christians in Ephesians 3, 18 to 19. And pray that you may have strength to Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. In other words, I'm praying that, that you would know the love of Christ to you that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There, in other words, is always more grasping of Jesus' love for his sheep that we're so out of touch with. There's always more to be experienced of his love toward us. There's always more of the fullness of God to be filled with. The love of Christ, as now he said it, surpasses knowledge. Now, 
it can't mean that we can't know any of the love of Christ. His whole prayer is that we would know, reach to the breadth and length and height. It doesn't mean you, you can't know any of it in any way. He's praying that we do know it. But it does mean that you'll never be able to fully know. To fully, completely comprehend the love of Christ. No matter how far we get, this is the good news. As creatures, there is always, always more. And that's for eternity. How much more in this life where sin still dwells within us. And that, in Paul's life, causes him to press on. I want to know Christ. Don't you know him? I met him, Paul would say. Then why do you say you want to know him? I've only begun. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That prize is not something other than God. That prize is Christ. It is, as Paul says in the context, gaining Christ. Being found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to God's law. But the righteousness which comes to me as a gift from God. By my trusting Christ. That's His prize. The now is now. I have it. We've been justified. And then there's the consummation. The not yet. And that day is not yet. It's coming. And I can know what it's going to be, even though it hasn't happened yet, because I have not stood before the white throne judgment and declared, mine, mine. Paul loves those terms. He made me his own. He loves it when Jesus says, that's, I own that one. Paul rests in that. And so then, in this text, Paul models this a little bit more. His pressing on, first, by this. What do you do, Paul? What does it cause you to do? His answer is, it causes me to be single-minded. You see it? Verse 13. One thing I do. Paul's life revolved around a singleness of purpose. Running toward the finish line in an Olympic track meet. To know him more deeply in this life experientially, in this life as I run Paul's pursuit was not just one pursuit out of many pursuits. He says one thing, I do. Everything else was determined by whether or not it would help him get to the finish line. All of it. He did not have a a compartment for Jesus. And that's over here, and that's good. And now I got a separate compartment for my family. And I got a separate compartment for my job. And over here, another separate one for the friends I, I keep. And on and on. He had one goal. And all those other very important categories are to be dealt with 
in light of the pursuit of Christ. He, he, he was so much like King David from Psalm 27 for one thing I've asked of the Lord. And that is what I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in order to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing rules all the other rings. Okay, that just flew into my head. Something like that, right? People who know the story better than I. And then Paul gives in the text two aspects of that one pursuit. One thing, and then he says two things. Okay. This is why it's the one thing. Two aspects. First, Paul, how do you walk? Answer, forgetting what lies behind. Now, you, in this, look, it... It, it, contextually, it is clear. Paul has a running race in mind in the language that he's using. Not looking back. I'm forgetting. I'm not constantly looking back over my shoulder. How much have I gained? How far have I come? Where's, what's the other, what are the other runners doing that would slow the runner down? Anything good in your life or bad in your life. Anything that hinders the race must be gotten rid of. Forgetting. Forget that. That would hinder me from the finish line. Hey, look, I... If God allows you to breathe, I'm almost 60, you, you do. There's something about life that you experience more and more pain and in your own life. You watch others. Hopefully wisdom comes. And, and I tell you, the older I get and with other brothers, and it's like, man, we, we, we watch in people that ran for 30 years and then they look back. And their lives are just, they didn't finish very well. And it's like, it's fear, a holy fear. Don't let that happen. Run. Run. Joe, run. See, memories, it's part of what a human being is. That's why in this broken world, it's a sad thing is Alzheimer's comes and all. But it won't be forever if you ever have it. And you're in Christ. It won't be forever. It's what we are. So, so memory, there's a part of it that is it's a good gift when used appropriately. It's a biblical gift. It's throughout the Old Testament. God delivers again and again. Now I want you to put an altar here. I want you to look back and go back to that altar and these rocks. And Remember there at Bethel or Ebenezer. Which means, thus far the Lord has helped us. So memories, look at those times in your life when there was such pain or struggle, you thought it was all crumbling and how, no, no, no. Our finiteness is, yeah, I know. I, I mean, I'm Christian, but that's, God can never bring me through this. And He did. Now you're entering another one. Memory's good. Yes, Father. You've done But when memory is used improperly, it can paralyze us, can hinder our pursuit of Jesus. Memories of your past successes, they can cause you to become arrogant, self-sufficient, self-satisfied. Don't feel any urge to keep running today and thus you slow down no 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 that's the memory in memorizing things in your past that way that's got to be forgotten memories of past sins 
you took a right turn and you should have gone straight. And you're still feeling ramifications for that in this present life. These memories have to be forgotten. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going forward today. Memories of pain, failures, they can cause us to be depressed and burdened with feelings of guilt or unforgiveness. I cannot forgive. It's got to be forgotten. Thus, don't let it paralyze the pursuit of Christ. One thing, forgetting what lies behind. Be careful that nothing in your past controls your present in the sense of causing you not to continue to run the race. Now, in the context of Philippians 3, I really think there's many more than this, but I have to think as a fellow sinful human being being saved by Jesus that Paul, he, he lived for a few decades as a religious, legalistic Pharisee. You don't live ways without having those patterns embedded in you. Remember, in the context, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. I was blameless. And then Christ makes him his own. He says, Paul, you had it. You had the Bible wrong. How often must those inclinations have risen up? Forget, forget them! I count it all as garbage, and much less the year or two years or two and a half years or somewhere in there that he spent destroying particular human beings' lives down here taking away their parents into jail, having some killed as a persecutor of the church. It's not, he remembers it. You don't re, it's not amnesia. It is, don't, Paul, let that destroy you. Understand God and His providence and sovereignty. Understand your guilt, but what you're getting your forgiveness. In that sense, forgetting what lies behind which brings Paul then to the positive but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead Paul keeps his eyes forward he keeps his legs running he's not distracted from the race by anything that could be for any of us, that is, those distractions. It could be a job we have. It could be a friendship. It could be a past wrong done to you by someone else. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be money. It can be a hobby. It can be TV or sports or politics that distract and get you off the course. The point is, if it distracts you away from Christ, if it hinders your pursuit of Him, Something needs to change about that. Or forget it altogether. Pursue Jesus with all your energy. Straining, it's the running analogy, straining forward to what lies moment by moment, and it is clearly rooted for Paul in the promises that are not yet. That's what he said. 
that I may be in the future found in him. Paul, aren't you in Christ? Yeah, I'm in him. I'm talking, okay, distinction here. Straining forward. Just for one moment, listen or, or turn to 1 Corinthians 9 for a moment. And see how Paul described this straining in his own life forward. Verses 25 to 27 of 1 Corinthians 9. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it in order to receive a, a perishable wreath or a gold medal. But we, as Christians, we do the same thing but in order to receive an imperishable crown, wreath. So, I, Paul, do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified and be plastered all over Facebook and social media. The way to strain forward like Paul is with the discipline of an Olympic athlete. And this means as Christians planning, setting goals for yourself in Bible study, Bible reading, prayer, prayer, in worship, in stewardship over the gifts and things that God has given you, in loving others, in loving others who are not as easy to love as others. In, in other words, service in fellowship. It means, like the person who wants to win the 100-meter dash in the Olympics, you train. It means being discontented where you are and straining forward for more of Christ. We want to know Him more. For straining forward for... More fruit of the Spirit, please. It's oh so slow. For less manifestation of the flesh in my life, please. Strain. And when you, because we all do, find yourself slowing down, and you come to yourself, I am slowing down in the race toward Christ. Take 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 to mind. Like newborn babies, infants, like, like those babies, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. If, if indeed it is true, Peter, it's true, right, that you have tasted? Have you tasted the milk before? Oh, that the Lord is good. That new grandbaby tastes the milk. I mean, sometimes, you know, I remember when our first, it was, took a while. To, is a kid going to die of starvation because you can't figure out how to make this thing work? Once those, those infants taste the milk, it's very simple, especially as a dad, and I can't control this. They're screaming. They're longing. Honey, feed the baby. Peter says, in, in, in your walk, as the baby feels the discontentment because of hunger, be like that. But I don't have that desire. The Holy Spirit through Peter commands you to have that desire. Like infants long for the Word. 
not merely intellectual, this the milk, spiritual milk of communion with God over the truth in your life. And then make Paul's focus your focus. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus, He's made me His own. Oh, dear Christians, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. So Father, my prayer right now in our midst together that we would feel and continue to feel the exhortation of this passage of Scripture in our lives, to feel the joy, to feel the comfort that you, Lord Jesus, have made us your own. And thus, we are encouraged and strengthened to press on, to press on. To run the race, forgetting what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Do it, O 